Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech, 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 tech talk. Tech, 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 tech talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Listen up, all you time dilators and length contractors. It's time to dive into another freshly unwrapped episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here, sitting in a nest of scraps of paper and sticky tape, like a nine-year-old at Christmas time, it's Matthew Dickerson himself. How's your week been, Matt? Well, really good, and I'm always intrigued by what your intro is going to be, so, <laughs> so I, I need to mute my microphone and have a chuckle while you're going through your intro, so thank you for your creativity there. No but I'm pretty excited this week because we talk about things that are futuristic, that are happening in the future, and the future can be tomorrow or could be 50 years away, but the stuff we talk about is often several years away, five yeah. years away, that type of thing. But I'm pretty excited this week because I saw the maiden voyage of a ship using wind wings technology. Now, we've spoken about oh, this before. Oh, yeah, right. I've got you. Yeah, the big sails that come up and reduce fuel economy or reduce fuel consumption by about 30% just by using the wind, using sails. Yeah. So the very first voyage, it went from China to Brazil, happened this week, and that was testing the wind wings technology. It's a bit of a tongue twister. There's a wind, <laughs> wind wings technology. technology. Uh, and so I think that's pretty exciting, that a topic that we've talked about, and this one's only months ago, is now out there being used. By all reports, it was successful. The wind didn't blow the ship over. It reduced its fuel it economy. made it. Made it to the other end. So it's always a bonus as well. Didn't get blown somewhere else and end up where it wasn't meant to be. So that's really exciting that this technology that's happening now, today, is actually making changes yeah, I think today. It must have been at least six months ago that we talked about that, uh, maybe a little bit more. But um, yeah, it was um, seemed a little bit strange that we're going back to wind power um, <laughs> uh, to, to drive our ships. But yeah, it does. it's there and it's happening. It is happening. And that's the thing that... Again, I find it exciting. We talk about some of these things, and sometimes you tend to forget about them. But when one pops up, you go, hold on, we talked about that a little while ago. That's really interesting that it's now out there because some of these things we talk about, of course, don't go ahead. They're in a testing phase, they experiment, it's not viable commercially, or it doesn't turn out to be quite as good as the researchers hoped or the initial testing. So, as with everything in scientific experimentation and technology, Sometimes it doesn't all work out the way yeah. it should do, but that's one that obviously has, and I think we'll see more developments around that. Yeah, developments around it. Uh, some exciting times are afoot for that. Yeah. Uh, let's kick off with a story that's a bit on the nose. Now, listen to me tiptoe through this introduction like a prima ballerina. You've probably stepped into a public toilet before and noticed that at least one of the people before you have <clears throat> left a message. And it kind of makes you gag a bit. Now, to be clear here, I'm not talking about floaties or a messy floor or seat. None of that. This is, a first, this is the first story in a family show, people, so bear with me. What I'm talking about happens to the best of us, and it's a tricky situation, and it's the reason you have a brush tucked away neatly against the back wall in the toilet. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2023, we need a toilet with inner walls slipperier than a Minnesota driveway on Christmas Eve. How is 3D printing going to get us out of that trouble, Matt? It is a really good point because we think a toilet's pretty slippery. Yeah. China. It's got to be. They've done well. Porcelain, yeah. Yeah, porcelain that's made out of there. That seems like it's fairly smooth. But you're right. Sometimes things still stick to that, even though it's a pretty smooth surface. And when you walk into a public toilet, and like they've got stainless steel toilets as well, and it still doesn't quite work. No. So you think, well, what could we do to make it even better? And of course, 3D printing seems to be the go with so many things at the moment, but By using 3D printing, you can come up with different materials that you might make that out of. So they're using laser sintering 3D printing technology, 
And by doing that and using that and building in a silicon oil to it, because again, one of the great things about 3D printing is you can mix things together. Mm. You've essentially got this surface that's very smooth, but more importantly, it goes through the entire surface. They've tried things in toilets before, like a Teflon coating, for example, Mm. and that wears off. And so then you just end up with a normal toilet. But by building it into the actual substance as you print it, then you've got something that's slippery all the way through. Now, I'm not sure why they chose this particular part to do an experiment with, but they chose some sandpaper to rub the toilet with a thousand times. <laughs> now, I reckon you've probably got too much fibre in your that's diet. Right. If or you're <laughs> eating too much sand. Just stop eating the sand, folks. I didn't think of the sand, maybe. <laughs> so they rubbed it over a thousand times with sandpaper and still found the surface was just as slippery because that silicon oil and the laser sintering have basically gone through the entire substance. Now, you might think, well, that's good. It saves an unpleasant experience at a public toilet or at home, for example, who didn't get the brush out and fix up the toilet. But there's something much more important at play here, and that is saving water. Yeah, right. If we can have a slipperier surface, then we don't need as much water to wash off whatever might be on the surface. That's clever. It is clever. So one of the areas that they'll use is, first of all, will be in public areas because they use a lot of water because they're being flushed a lot more than a home toilet. Mm. So they'll use that in public toilets. They'll use that in high-use areas. It might be train stations. It might be areas that are used a lot. And then I think we'll see a dramatic saving in water there. It'll eventually get down to the stage where your toilet in your home will be a different type of surface, a different type of substance. You're probably not going to rush out and replace a toilet. They're a bit clumsy to replace. They're mm. concreted in and that's all a bit hard to replace. It's not as easy as replacing some other parts of your house. So I, I see in new builds, this will be an important part of it, but it's also important in some countries that don't have as much water. And water yeah. is really a big thing. I don't think we realise at the moment, in a couple of decades' time, Water will be, forget about oil wars, there'll be water wars. So hopefully there won't be wars, but there'll be discussions, serious discussions over water. We already have that with the Murray-Darling Basin, don't we? Well, good point, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. A lot of negotiations amongst the states around that and some states saying we're not going to play ball with the federal government and all sorts of things there. So if we can reduce the amount of water we're using in the toilet, and think about it, you don't think too much about the toilet. We've got our half flush and our full flush, Mm. but you just do that. You don't say to everyone... Right, if you do number ones, leave it there because we're going to save water. Most people go, oh, I don't like the look of that. I'm just going to flush it anyway. It also smells a bit too, doesn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. that's right. So you you got to flush anyway. If you can have less water needed, then you can have a flush system that uses less water. You might be able to use the half flush for number twos, for example. Yeah, yeah. So it's a big thing. And again, I know it doesn't sound like the most palatable subject. Hopefully no one's listening to this while they're eating breakfast. But hopefully just this sort of technology can make a difference around the world with that water saving. For sure. We've all had it at one stage or another, trying to remain discreet on your phone in a public place, while a pair of snail's eyes from behind or to the side is all up in your business. Riding public transport or filling in time in a waiting room, folks, you know what I'm talking about. The business of trying to keep your phone business to yourself with any number of prying eyes around you is a bit of a thing. Well, a a couple of clever cookies at the University of Michigan have developed a solution, Matt. They have, and it's an interesting solution. Let's make the phone harder to read. Let's make it blurrier. Now, 
phone manufacturers are always coming out with higher resolution phones and they're always yeah. boasting that they've got a phone that's a higher resolution than someone else's phone. So going blurry, <laughs> that's right. reducing the resolution of the phone doesn't make a lot of sense. Now you can, of course, buy discrete or privacy screens and stick them on your phone that make it so that you can only look at it straight on. And many people have seen those on computer screens. Mm. You go through customs at the airport, for example, and you're trying to see what details they've got about you on the screen and you mm. can't see anything. You see a black screen and they've typically got those privacy screens on that you have to be looking straight at it. If you're looking at a slight angle, it just becomes a black screen. Mm. And that's great if you're so worried about privacy on your phone, you might stick one of those screens on there, but it's a bit clumsy. It's extra thing you've got to buy, and then it does reduce the resolution a little bit. The clever thing with this is it's a software feature you can turn on and off. And all it does is it blurs the phone a little bit in such a way that if you're sitting there a metre or so away, you just can't quite make out what's being on the screen. Whereas I'm sitting there looking at it straight on, I can still see it okay. So it's a pretty simple concept. And again, I wonder how they came up with this. Someone sat there and went, let's make the phone blurrier. What? Why would <laughs> yeah, we do that? <laughs> what are you thinking today? I know we've been asking for new ideas, but that's just a crazy idea. And then obviously something happened and so on. Well, hold on, if you want privacy on there, that's a good idea. And I've done the same. I've been on an airplane and before it takes off, of course, and you're sitting there just on your phone, you just think, the person beside me, I just feel like their eyes are just yeah. fitting over there. It's not that exciting. And then I start typing things like, the person beside me has got funny <laughs> ears and see if they start to react. <laughs> but it is one of those things, sometimes you do feel like someone's reading your phone. And yeah. Not that I've got FBI-type secrets on my phone or anything. But no, but you never know what, you know, pe- people like their privacy and so that needs to be respected, but some people just have snail's eyes. <laughs> they do. But I, I suppose what we're doing on our phones now is much more important. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but certainly we've got more sensitive information on our phones, yeah, more personal right. information. Once you start talking about your banking information or your ID, your driver's license on your phone, all these details on there, then you really don't want just someone sneaking their eyes over going, right, oh, got his date of birth. Yeah, there was a time name. where we just didn't really care very much and, you know, well, people, someone knew where you lived, oh, well, you know, it was a complete stranger. That's got nothing, no problem at all. But, mm. but that... That information's worth money now on the black market. Worth money and worth very big money if they start taking out loans in your name, definitely. So it's an interesting one. I actually think, so the, they'll create software first of all, that you'll be able to buy an app for 99 cents and be able to blow your phone. But they're actually in some discussions with some smartphone manufacturers now. And I think this will be one of those new features I'll add in and say, just built into the operating system of the phone is this new feature. And whoever buys this technology off this particular company or, or mm. it's a university, whoever buys that will be the first one to release it and then I'm sure every other phone manufacturer will copy it as well and change it a little bit so they don't get sued. But it's something I, could, I think it'll be a year away before I think we'll see it, but it'll be probably something that'll be built into phone operating systems. Mm. We're moving into an age of gathering uncertainty about changes in climate and paranoia is swelling about major weather events. And that's reflected in your insurance premiums. There's an enormous need to protect ourselves with more accurate predictive tools. And the call is being answered with AI. Google is becoming a global weather watchdog by introducing groundbreaking AI to monitor water movement and predict major storms and floods. And it'll be able to do it for almost the, well, for most of the remote areas as, as it will for the cities. Matt, a stitch in time saves nine, and maybe a sandbag or two is going to save a lot of people here. We sometimes talk about AI in a bit of a negative way on mm. Tech Talk. We, we talk about AI in a whole range of ways, but 
there are some examples where we see AI being used for naughty reasons. But this is one of the things where the power of modern computing and mix in artificial intelligence can do some incredible things. Yeah, right. Now, humans have got access to all the same information. They've got access to flood data, decades of flood data. They've got access to weather data. But the human brain, as clever and as creative as it is, just can't stitch all that together to come up with some predictive models to say where that next flood's going to go, how high it's going to go, mm. what impact it's going to have. You need some really good modelling to do that. And that's exactly what Google's been working on. So since 2018, they've been doing some flood forecasting in this way using AI. And that's building up the information, building up more data and learning as it gets to the stage where it has flood predictions and then it sees where it goes and then learns from that and says, Mm. well, next time I need to remember that this happens and this happens. Well, so remember, well, it's a computer, so it doesn't really forget stuff. But you're then getting to the stage now, which I think is pretty exciting, that a conventional system, which still uses some computer power, might be able to say, tomorrow, the flood level of that river will get to 10 metres. This Google AI tool is being able to get the same level of accuracy four days in advance. Right. So that gives you a lot more time to start to make some changes in your community. So you might even get with some of these tools, they're talking about six to seven days in advance, not quite as much accuracy though, but you're still saying a week out, it's probably going to be this high on that river over there and that means the water will get out to these areas but four days you can say well we're pretty sure now it's going to get to that height and that's going to impact those mm-hmm. areas so sandbagging a bit easy to sandbag when the water's not lapping away at the, yeah, at the doorstop right. compared when you've got to, hours yeah, yeah yeah that's right which is what often happens people say oh no the, the water's coming up tonight Tomorrow morning at 3 o'clock, it's going to hit the peaks. So everyone's out there quickly sandbagging, but four days in advance. Yeah, I wonder what sort of levee you can build in um, four days. Probably a reasonable one, except if you're an Aussie, you probably say, oh, we've got four days now, we'll get around <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah, a bit more laid back, a bit more Locked laconic. beer fridge. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see if this Google AI thing's really accurate and three days later, you know what, it looks like it's pretty good. <laughs> but this is the sort of thing that I get excited about. We've seen modelling with climate change for many years now, but again, we're getting that modelling better. And when we see these various predictions about what a small temperature change does and what that does to ocean levels Mm. or weather, etc., all of that is using some incredible computing power. And this is the same type of thing. But where I think it's really important is when you've got regions like South America, Africa, even say places like India and Bangladesh, where you haven't got great flood data. I mean, in Australia, for example, we've got a lot of sensors, we've got information that can give us more accurate flood data. Mm. But even in those areas where there's not great flood data, it's still being able to learn where that water flows and what rain in one area has an impact later on. And I even know here in our local area, we get a bit of an idea from some of the experts that rain happens 300 kilometres away. And when it's a flood time, right, we know they'll hit us in four days' time. That's yeah. the amount of time it'll take for that water to flow down and along the river system and then get to us, and then they make some predictions about how high it will be. But this is now, it's been public since October 2022 to give real-time alerts, but it's just being spread out to more and more places now. So pretty exciting use, I think, of AI and really that modern computing power. For sure. Here's a story to upset the revheads, or maybe not. Lamborghini, synonymous with big V12 engines and super sexy, sleek designs, is about to trade in one of those characteristic features for a set of electric motors. But before you boomers turn your head in disappointment, 
wait until you hear what sort of horsepower they're talking about. And further to that, imagine showing up at a party at Kanye's place, less like a growling panther and more like an apparition, silent and deadly, appearing out of the darkness. Matt, tell them what they're never going to be able to afford in a million years. Well, Lamborghini is one of those cars that when I was a kid, it was like... It was a, it was a poster on your wall, right? Oh, that's exactly it. You know, wow. there's probably a hot chick on it. <laughs> I wouldn't be so sexist <laughs> as a child, James. But, Sorry, yeah, right. <laughs> but you're right. The Lamborghini was one of those things, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, and I love the Ferrari-Lamborghini wars that occurred, and obviously mm. Lamborghini said I can do it better, but it was one of those really cool cars. The Contage was one that a car that I was going to own one day. Like, wow, what a cool car. So you do associate that with a hot car, as you say, that throbbing V8, that beautiful, smooth V8 power. And for all those people out there that are still thinking, no, no, you've got to have that growl of an engine, you've got to have petrol, you've got to have that raw horsepower, well, you're going to get one out of the three, okay? You're (laughs) going to get the raw horsepower. So they're talking about this. Now, this isn't available to 2028. I think they're trying to just test out the market a little bit, see what the market thinks, talk about it, and get this market demand. People are saying, well, bring it out now. It's, it's too good to be true. Yeah. So they haven't released a lot of details, but one detail they've released is they've got motors at the moment, and it's going to be a four-wheel drive, as most of the performance EVs are. Why not mm-hmm. go to all four wheels because you're going to get more grip that way? So this is looking at 1,341 horsepower in the old terms or over a megawatt. Now, when you think about some other nice cars out there, you've got some EVs that have got a couple hundred kilowatts. Some of the really good performance EVs are getting up seven, eight hundred kilowatts. Mm. So, a thousand kilowatts, a megawatt, is pretty impressive That's power. Enormous, output. it is. And of course, I can imagine that you're going to be sitting on some nice, wide, high grip tires. It's going to be able to put a lot of that to the ground. They're talking about under two seconds, which seems to be, forget about the old four and a half second benchmark for performance cars, for a supercar. Two seconds is the new extreme benchmark for a supercar. (laughs) So it'll be under two seconds. It's probably- Under two seconds. Under two seconds, that's That's right. (laughs) And You're going to need to do some time in the vomit, uh, vomitron that they do uh, for fighter pilots, you know, the thing that whizzes you around, that centrifuge. Well, my daughter asked the other day, she was in an EV and she kind of knocked her head back as someone accelerated. I won't say who it was that accelerated. And she said, could you die from brain injury from acceleration? And I went, well, I don't think you could. I don't think there's enough action there from your brain, but you probably get a pretty good headache out of just the acceleration, yeah. that raw power of pushing your brain inside your skull from acceleration. So, yeah, under two seconds, there's going to be some acceleration there. Nice 23-inch wheels, steerable rear axle, air suspension. I mean, all, all the mm. things you can think of in a modern car are going to be mixed into this. Lamborghini is investing 1.9 billion euro in their whole electrification strategy. Yeah, right. It's probably another nail in the coffin there for anyone out there thinking, you know what, it's a flash in the pan. Lamborghini is not as big a company as a Toyota. The fact they're investing 1.9 billion euro Mm. means that they've seen the writing on the wall and it's pretty serious. And if they want to be up there with the cars that still get stuck on kids' walls saying, I dreamed to have one of those cars one day, they're going to have to get on the bandwagon or on the, on the train for the EV strategy. They're a wider body, a wider chassis as well, aren't they? So they so there'd be a little bit more battery there. We'd expect perhaps a little bit more um, range as well. Mate. Well, if you look at the, the normal Lamborghini, you're right, they're, they're wide. They've got this wide stance. They're actually a fairly big car as such, mm. and they sit very low. So we've talked before about that low centre of gravity, 
with the batteries down low, can you imagine how a Lamborghini that's already low, yeah. hardly much body roll anyway, stick some batteries down the bottom like a nice heavy keel at the bottom of a yacht and just imagine how that thing would handle on these 23-inch wheels. Crazy. <laughs> so it sounds pretty exciting. Again, a few years away. But I think, again, Lamborghini want people like you and I talking about this sort of stuff just mm-hmm. to, to get the public excited about it. Excellent promotion there. That's right. Yeah. And also just to get people thinking that this is the future without a doubt. Now, further to our last story, the big old gotcha for that's gotcha for EV opponents has been that by having too many electric cars, the grid will never support them all. We're a long way from that problem here in Australia. But in the US, with more than 10 times our population, it's anticipating that two-thirds of their vehicles will be electric in the next decade. Well, the big old gotcha is only a gotcha if governments and primary industry go to sleep while this revolution sweeps the world. Generation of electricity for the EV revolution is going to require diversification and a dose of creativity. And Matt, there's a big opening for farmers to make an extra buck here. It's an interesting one, isn't it? You don't really think about the waste that comes out of a farm. So you've got your dairy farm, for example. Mm -hmm. You're milking your cows and probably at the end of that cow's life, then you sell it off to some abattoirs and they make meat out of it. So Mm -hmm. fantastic. That's really the, the life cycle, if you like, of a dairy farm. They don't think too much about the waste that comes out of that, except, well, damn, that makes a bit of a mess. That's about the extent of it. But you've got this concept where you can take animal waste and human waste for that matter as well, and even Mm. food waste, and process that and turn it into biogas and then burn that biogas to actually make money. Now, there are people who will make money or make power, but make money out of it as well. There are people who will make money out of it now. So Dodge City, for example, in Kansas, has generated $3 a year by selling biogas fuel to the transportation sector. Mm. Now, that's the city itself. So I'm not sure if they're just taking waste products from human, for example, through a sewage treatment plant and then selling that off. But you can see farmers going, well, hold on. If there's a way I can capture this waste, well, we could use that. You've got to go through a a sort of an anaerobic digestion process, but the actual devices to do this are available right now. Mm. And you start to think, well, is this where we want to go in terms of producing energy? We've got renewables, wind, solar, type of thing. Do we really want to be burning gas? But if you can take those waste products and turn them into gas and then burn that, the overall net equation to the environment is probably not too bad. Now, we know methane is obviously much worse as a... As a but uh, that's trapped That's trapped in the in the digester there. That's, that's trapped, supposedly. But if you take that methane and turn that into carbon dioxide, yeah. that's actually better. And that's one of the things with... Rubbish tips, for example, it's something that I had a bit of trouble getting my head wrapped around. Let's burn the gas that's being produced by rubbish tip to make it better for the environment. Mm. And I'm trying to get my head wrapped around this. You're burning something to make it better. Hold on, but methane is, methane, I think, yeah. 94 times that yeah, sounds better, worse like than that. carbon dioxide. Yeah. So you're taking something that's much worse and turning into something that's a little bit worse. But this is like um, you're talking about a dairy as an example, and we're not picking on dairy farmers in particular, but any farm, right, all that biomass is... It's just that carbon's part of the carbon cycle anyway. It's where we take fossil fuels and we take stuff that was stored carbon and we release that. That's our issue. That, that is an issue, but surely if we can do anything we can to make it better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we minimise it, but, yeah. but I don't know. What else are you going to do with poo? <laughs> well, use Other than fertilizer. let it decompose. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true too. So it's going to decompose and it's going to end up in the atmosphere. Yeah, but I suppose part of this is that We've got food waste, 
human waste. Now, human waste is often treated and then something's done with it. Mm. And then you've got animal waste. Food waste probably ends up in a tip somewhere mm. and producing gases there. So, look, it's one of those things I think that it's a stepping stone to get us all the way there. It's a gas, so you're still burning it, but you've got some flexibility with gas as opposed to some renewables where it's not as flexible. So, look, it's not a bad solution, but again, I see it as a stepping stone. Uh, and the other thing I was just going to say is with digesters, if you can actually, and, and in burning that fuel, if you can catch the CO2 uh, and catch those gases, actually put them in things like soft drinks and stuff like that. Yeah, well, there you go. Keep adding to the cycle. And I do like my sparkling water. (laughs) In a move that will disappoint no one, a US judge has ruled that AI artwork cannot be copyrighted. Matt. Let's hope that AI doesn't down tools and go on strike in protest. (laughs) Maybe they would. Now, this is really interesting, and I've got a bit of an admission to make here, James. I write some limericks and I write some poetry, but I use a tool. Well, I won't even name the tool, but it's a a rhyming tool. There's a website I go to and go, oh, I'm stuck for a word that rhymes with orange, and I can't (laughs) find it. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere with that one, but... There's words that you just think, I just need a rhyme for that. And you're thinking of all the words you'd normally go through. And I have a process I go through. Oh, I'll go to that website. So I get some help from a website. Do I still own the copyright in that poem I wrote? And I would say, sure. Songwriters around the world, definitely. I know there's tools, specific tools made for songwriters mm-hmm. where it'll help them put the, the number of syllables correct in each line. It'll help them with some rhyming words. But the songwriter's still writing the song. They still claim copyright. They still make the royalties out of it. And no one really worries about it too much. Now, Benjo Patterson, my favourite poet, 159 years ago he was born. He didn't have a rhyming website to use. And he wrote some brilliant poetry and some very clever rhymes. So does that make him a better poet than me? Well, there's a whole range of reasons Benjo's a better <laughs> poet than me. Rhyming maybe not one of those. But surely it's okay for me to use a tool and still own the copyright. A, yeah. a builder used to use a hammer years ago, now they use a nail gun. So is that okay? Does someone need to claim the, the nail gun manufacturer owns a bit of that house? I think it, I think we're talking about percentage though. So if, if something is writing the entire poem for you or the entire song, who owns the song? Well, that's the thing. And this is the big issue that a US judge has been presented with, that one particular judge has said that AI-generated art can't be copyrighted. Now, there's a, a lawsuit that was going through against the US Copyright Office where an artist created an AI tool, so he wrote the code for it. Then he fed some instructions to say, I want an artwork of James sitting on the porch looking very thoughtful, and it created an artwork. He then said, I want the copyright on this. And the US Copyright said, did you create the artwork? No, I didn't. A tool, an AI tool that I created, mm. created the artwork. So all he had was the thought. So are we copywriting thoughts now? Maybe. Maybe oh, not. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, the US judge agrees with you. Obviously, a bit, Thank of, you. A, a bit of maybe a phone call to James. James, what should I do here? No, don't do that. So the judge said no, because this particular artist was trying to sue the US Copyright Office for not giving him copyright I'm on all, I'm all fine if the elbow grease came from the artist and that they actually thought, oh, I'm going to have this idea of, of whatever, and then they went to making it but if you just had the idea and then got someone else to make it (laughs) anyway so it's an interesting one but again that's where we're at from an artwork perspective do you remember the monkey selfie incident from about 
2012, I think yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. So the, the artist put a, a, a camera out in the jungle, out somewhere in Indonesia, I think it was, and put that there and had it set up so monkeys could take, they were black apes actually, not monkeys, but they were taking selfies yeah. of themselves. And of course, he then said, well, I own the copyright in those. And there was a, a fair few legal battles <laughs> that went on, but basically he couldn't own the copyright because he didn't click the shutter. Yeah. The black apes clicked the shutter, but you can't have copyright owned by a non-human. So in that case, there was no copyright. So he'd There's done all this precedent. work. There's your precedent. But he'd done all this work, as he argued it, and said, well, I should be able to get some money out of that, but people were just using the artworks for free, all the photos for free. So artworks, no. And again, this is the first case. I'm sure there'll be many other cases. But in this case, the judge said, no, you can't own the copyright. And a non-human, i.e. an AI, cannot own the copyright. So you create that artwork, it's available for anyone to use in any way they see fit. I would assume, and I haven't seen a test case on this one either, but I would assume very much the same with novels or short stories or poems in the case that I gave that are written by AI where, sorry, there's no copyright in that. Mm. So anyone can go and use that in any way they see fit. It is a whole scary new world. And this is one of the things we often talk about here on Tech Talk, that technology is screaming ahead. And meanwhile, legislation, laws, society is going, hold on, hold on, let us catch up. Yeah. Let us put some rules in place for that while people are developing technology at a 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, fascinating. And we'll, I'm sure we'll see more developments in this space. For sure. Now here's something to make you go, hmm. Did you know that each key on your computer makes a slightly different sound? Well, apparently they do. And there's apparently an algorithm that can now pick up on the sounds of the keystrokes and we're all in a world of trouble. Think about this next time you're tapping away on a very personal email in a crowded cafe. Matt, why? Who thought this up? We need a special dungeon for software designers who have bad ideas like this. Well, I was trying to think of exactly that. Why would someone think about this? Why would you need this? Because someone had the idea they'd love to know what that person was typing in the cafe. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. I hope it's better than that. But I've actually thought about, you know, sometimes typing away, I thought, oh, yeah, there's a bit of a music that is occurring here as I'm tapping away. Yeah. I never really thought that each key would have a different sound. But it, it depends, I think, partly, part of this experiment that they did was having a microphone in a certain spot and then different keys are sounding different where that microphone is picking up because the keys are located at a different distance from the microphone yeah, right. and they're a different part on the keyboard. But often with technology that could be used for evil reasons, you think, well, there's the good reason it was created mm. and then, oh, no, someone's used it for evil purposes. But in this, this case... This just evil. I just can't think of any good reason. I, I was <laughs> racking my brain. to know what you're typing. <laughs> That's it. I can't you think of anything bugger. else. But it gets worse than that, which I'll get to in a moment. But it was quite clever because it really was about a microphone in a spot and then as that keyboard's typed, it's not like you're on a touch-tone telephone that's making a different sound for each number. That would be easy to pick up what mm. you're typing. It's just the click-clack of the keys. It sounds like a very old keyboard, but mm. the, the various noises the keys will make on a keyboard because they are a different distance from the microphone. And that keyboard, obviously, they're going to be slight different sounds about where on the keyboard that particular key was. So it gets worse because they found that just by using a microphone with a keyboard, they got about 95% accuracy of what wow. was being typed. Now, you can use some spell checking to fix up the bits where you, you've got a word that doesn't look quite right. You can probably guess what the person was typing based on the various characters of 95% you had. Then they tried another experiment. They had a Zoom call, and on the Zoom call, they said to the person at the other end, 
can you start typing some messages, please? Oh. And just through your microphone <laughs> from a Zoom call, it picked up. The accuracy wasn't as good. It dropped to 93% going over That's a Zoom call. That's still pretty good. Now, often on a Zoom call, you'll mute your microphone. Good idea. <laughs> so in future, if you're typing a message going, this is the most boring Zoom meeting I've ever been in. And the guy <laughs> talking to us at the moment, what's he on about? With, yeah, 93% accuracy. I'm thinking if there, someone's typing, it, it was the best of times. It was the <laughs> schmerst of times. You could probably work it out. Exactly right. 93%, I reckon you're right. But again, there's a little tip. Make sure your microphone's muted, especially if you're <sighs> going to start typing things. Now, I don't know this is going to be ever released publicly this software i don't no, know but what's the bad going guys to are going to have it that's, that's right the bad guy so any zoom call you're on when the bad guys are there make sure if a guy shows up and he's wearing one of those hankies over his mouth like a western <laughs> you know in the, in the western movies yeah. that's right make sure you put your mute button on when you're typing absolutely right so it's a it's a crazy one but it just goes show how it shows how far you can go with technology the things you can actually create from it quite incredible Tasmanian police have set up a stack of new cameras around the state to catch people who still haven't got the message about keeping their hands off their phones while they're driving. And get this, they're picking up people who are still averse to wearing seatbelts too. Is it just me, or does wearing a seatbelt feel really weird these days? But I digress. No shot at Tasmanians here. If it's happening there, it's all through the mainland as well. There clearly is a need to catch people on phones while driving, and it seems like that this is a really easy revenue maker, Matt. It does seem like that, and I have no problem with revenue making out of some of this stuff. The seatbelt, the single greatest safety device on a modern motor vehicle, mm. given by Volvo to the world because, as they said at the time, it is the greatest safety device ever, and it's selfish of Volvo to keep it for just our vehicles. Mm. How hard is it? Well, I remember in the 70s and moving into the 80s where it was a thing. It had to be really advertised really strongly and there were people protesting, you can't make me wear a seatbelt and all this sort of stuff. They're impeding on my, my civil rights. <laughs> um, and um, and then we just started wearing them and it was just like, it's just normal now. And yeah. if you're not wearing it, you're thinking, something's not right. Oh, I mean, you, you've got the beeping thing on your in your dashboard. But, but it doesn't feel comfortable. It if just I doesn't jump feel in a car, right. Yeah, and, and you don't put it on straight away. It just feels like... I'm not in the seat properly. And, yeah, as for those people who protest about their civil rights, well, they also have the rights to have their head go through the windscreen. Yeah. So they are a great safety device, but it's quite incredible that you get people who, like, that's a, a given. I can almost understand people driving along and they get a message on the phone and they just go, oh, that's from James. I've been waiting for that message. Yeah, yeah. And just, I'll just pick up the phone. So it's just it's so tempting. But the seatbelt, just put it on. So Taz may have introduced some new cameras in Tasmania's police force. They put 14 cameras with detection technology, and it's quite clever. I've had a look at some of the photos they pick up, and I'm going, wow, it's picked that up from there. That's incredible. They're picking up mobile phone usage. They're picking up no seatbelts on, just simple little things, you'd think. Within 43 hours of these new 14 cameras, 339 people were caught doing the wrong thing. <laughs> Every 7.6 minutes, someone's doing the wow. wrong thing. So, yes, absolutely, some revenue raising there, but it's only revenue raising if you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. There's no problem if you put your seatbelt on and leave your phone alone. How hard is that to do? <laughs> that's right. So that's interesting. Back in 2021, Queensland introduced some similar cameras, similar camera systems. And, and again, when I say the cameras, they're quite clever in that they're not sitting that high and they're able to pick up as a take a photo through the windscreen and pick up people on their phones. And some of the, the photos I saw, there was one guy who just had the phone sitting on his lap. That's illegal because... Mm. 
there's probably only one region you've got sitting on your lap because you're about to play with it or you have been playing with it. Mm. So that's illegal to have it sitting on your lap. So I picked that up. Had another guy who <laughs> was, it's all levels of stupidity here, who was using two hands on his phone while the passenger had hold of the steering wheel. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just hand the phone to your passenger and say, yeah, and can so you look can up you something for me? Yeah, type this out for me, please. Yeah, that's right. So that one was picked up. Oh, but maybe it, the passenger had no thumbs. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's right. And there was another one there where it was literally just off in the corner of the shot where the, the person just had the phone. It was almost like he was trying to sneak it under the dash, mm. just in the corner there. So these cameras are not directly above the car, but they're high enough to be able to take a shot inside mm. the car. So uh, 2021, 170,000 drivers were caught by Queensland and uh, $159 million in fines were issued since then, since 2021. So it is big revenue raising for police forces or for various state governments. But again, I don't really have a big problem with that. It just goes to show you how far we've come with our protection technology, which is good. And again, some people might be very concerned about that, but it is something that I think that let's do it. Let's make the road safer. We still have people dying on the roads every single day. Mm. If this can make it a little bit safer, then so be it. But I I do like the technology there and hopefully I'm never caught by this technology because I'm never doing the wrong thing. Well, I hope in uh, 40 years we're talking about how weird it is for people, anybody to get caught on a mobile phone in the future as well because it just, yeah, we're hopefully getting to a stage where it's feeling weird to use your phone while you're driving. And even though people are saying this is just revenue raising, I'm sure the police forces across the nation would be happy to have no one caught with this because it means that no one's doing the wrong thing, which Mm. would be glory days. Driverless taxis have arrived in San Francisco amid fear, scepticism and curiosity. Matt has some stories to tell and in short, I think we're all grateful for other people being guinea pigs, Matt. Oh, look, I can hardly wait to introduce you in Australia after it's been tested <laughs> extensively overseas. <laughs> you kind of, uh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Test it there first. The lawmakers actually in San Fran, there was a fair bit of controversy about the introduction of this. The lawmakers were saying no, yes, no, yes, and obviously eventually comes to a debate and a vote in a democracy. Mm. And the vote was pretty close about allowing both Waymo and Cruise. So Waymo is owned by Google or technically owned by Alphabet. And and Cruise is owned by General Motors. So two fairly large companies that are doing this and doing some testing. Now, Waymo is saying, we think this is a pretty good thing. They went out, once they got permission, they went out and bought 250 Jaguars as the car they're using. And it costs them, by the time they finish setting them up with all the technology, about 200 grand a pop. So they think this is going somewhere. You're not going to invest that kind of money unless you think, yep, I think there's a bit of a future in this. I I Google this. The cars still have steering wheels and driving controls, though. They do. And initially, when they were doing some of the testing, they had a person sitting there to give passengers a bit of a comfort level and also to take over if they needed to. But now it's at the point where you order it. And I actually read a couple of reviews of people that had actually done this. They get out their app, just like they're ordering an Uber. They order the car and it turns up and they open the door. They click an accept button on the screen and they sit back and it takes them to where they're going and then they get out. And it would, you'd you'd want to sit in the driver's seat. It's weird, yeah. (laughs) I'd be getting in there going, can I just sit here? And I'm sure there'd be some beep or something that would go off and tell me I'm not able to sit in the driver's seat. But it would just... We've talked about this before, though. It won't be long before there's no driving controls there as well. Why would you need them? What a waste of all that technology in the we car. We just need to get past that, that um, well, that, that, that stage where we just don't trust it. Mm. Well, we see 
images of cars now that have got the four seats facing inwards. Yeah. So you just you're two people Google going, this, folks. It's weird. <laughs> two people going forward that are facing backwards. It's a horseless carriage that's really a horseless carriage. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so one of the things I found interesting is they've had a few little issues. And again, this is where the human brain is cleverer than we think. And I said before, we don't remember stuff always. Computers remember stuff. Computers are great at remembering stuff. They've got all the information there. Mm. The memory isn't malleable like a human memory is. If it was 175, the number, it would always be 175, the number that it remembers. But humans are good at assessing situations, at mm. making decisions, at thinking, I'll take in all these bits of information and make a decision. One of these vehicles, a cruise car, got stuck in wet concrete. Uh, now, I can see that. Yeah. I can see you driving along. You know the road. You've already got all your roads pre-programmed. You can read it or understand what's around you. But wet concrete looks a fair bit like dry concrete with the camera technology that's on these cars. Yeah. Slightly different colour, sure, but it might just be a slightly different colour concrete. Surely you'd have the concrete sort of cordoned off with a bit of um, uh, some witch's hats or something. You'd probably have something like that, but maybe the witch's hats were on the side, maybe the car mm. thought it was a lane, and you'd have some construction Small workers. sign, yeah. Yeah, now, if you and I are driving along, we see construction workers, we see men standing around with hats on, we see the colour a little bit different, we assess all that and we go... I think that's wet concrete. I might not drive over there. But all those cues that we just know because we're mm, humans mm. are not there with a driverless car. So it drove along. This is a road that I know I can drive on. I don't know they've been doing some work on this road. And it drove in and I saw the picture of it and it was up to its axles. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bottom of the floor. There's a whole lot of angry workers standing oh, around. You can it. imagine. That's my <laughs> bit of concrete. Passenger. That's right. And so the, the bottom of the floor was basically flat and the concrete was in. And I'm thinking, how do you get out of that? That's a clumsy situation. Yeah. You can't just put it in reverse and take yeah. it out. So towing it out might be tough because you've got to get a tow truck there pretty quickly. Otherwise, the concrete sets. So anyway, I don't know how they got it out. That's a, another issue. But it's happening. It's happening now. And despite a couple of little issues like driving to wet concrete, which sounds like a big <laughs> issue, the pedestrians aren't being hit. People are arriving safely. Mm. And really, we should be able to reduce the road time. I know some people are scared, but a car that's a driverless car with a computer driving it doesn't check its phone, doesn't mm. forget to put a seatbelt on, doesn't make silly mistakes. It might make programming mistakes, which we can get better as time goes on. It might drive into its concrete, for example, but it's concentrating all the time on what it's doing. And so many road accidents, I'm sure, are just from people losing concentration, losing mm. focus. Kids in the back turn around, hey, kids, be quiet back there. Well, no, something comes out in front of me on the road. Mm. They don't do those sort of things. So surely we can reduce the road toll with driverless vehicles, but... And the more driverless cars there are on the road, the more opportunity there is for them to talk to each other in long distance. So at intersections, the, um, the need to be held up at an intersection would be less and less too, I would expect. All those things. Yeah, you're right. Spot on. And again, lots of this learning and lots of this education with these cars happens overseas, which is fantastic. So when they mm. come here, we'll be very confident in getting in <laughs> mind and going, everything's happened. We've heard about those bad stories overseas and now it's right to go here. Yes, Absolutely. And with all the bits and bobs from another dismantled episode spread out all over the floor, it's time to clean up before Mum comes in and flips her lid. Thanks for leading us into the future again, Matt. Sure thing. Now, I want to just mention one other thing, which we've got a little bit of time for, so I just want to mention it. I just love the way people are creative in the use of technology. There was a running carnival that I was in today that was a very popular running carnival called the Stampede. And one of the things that they did, which I thought was just clever and cute using technology, is you've got your little bibs that you wear that have got a timing chip in them and you run over the timing chips to record your time. So that's pretty standard in various events. 
But what they did as an extra twist on this time, on this particular event, was about 200 metres before the finish line is a timing grid. And as I ran over that timing grid, I thought, that's a strange place to have a timing grid. But then, as you got closer, the announcers at the end have got a little bit of information that you had to fill in about yourself. Uh-huh. Right, and okay. so as people are coming towards the finish line, they're saying, and here comes Matthew, and he's done a great time here. His best time previously was this. And they read off as if you were at some big professional event <laughs> and you're some professional runner. There's a bit of an ego boost to get you over the line when you feel like you're about to collapse. Oh, just very cute, very clever. And it's pretty simple, really, because obviously they can have someone come across the, the finish or 200 metres before the finish line, pops up on the computer in front, gives a bit of information that someone typed in about themselves, and it just makes the whole event feel very personalised, very special. So using technology on the masses to make it so personalised, I went, yeah, that's pretty clever. I mean, I didn't think that at the time. I thought, I've got it at the finish line and I'm exhausted. (laughs) But when I was listening to the same thing happen to other people, I went, oh, that's cool. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, Yeah. very clever. Well done to those organisers for just a creative little simple idea. Very, very good. Well, um, just to close off our episode, I, I kind of like the novelty of driverless taxis, but I'm glad San Francisco is running the blooper reel before they arrive in our town. Thanks again for tuning in once more, folks. It's always a pleasure to bring you this week's episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson, and we hope that you've enjoyed it just as much. Tech Talk is crafted by skilled engineers from meticulously designed parts and then 3D printed with micrometer precision. I'm your host, James Eddy, and sorry about all that poopy potty talk at the start. See you again in one week's time.